There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Superdeck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. And filling in for Tommy today, we are lucky to have with us in studio the host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, Sam Sanders. Welcome so back great to, to the be show. Here. Always great to be here. It's great to I have, have fun you. here. We have fun having you. Uh, on today's show, the Republican Party passes an official resolution stating that the violent insurrection on January 6th that left multiple people dead and injured was, quote, legitimate political discourse. Mike Pence says Donald Trump is wrong about his ability to overturn the election, and we dive into raging media controversies over Joe Rogan, Jeff Zucker, and John Lovett's interview with Jen Psaki. Maybe the the greatest controversy of all. <laughs> yeah. No, it's maybe the greatest controversy of all. <laughs> one one thing, it's been a weekend of podcast apologies, uh, and I just want to add one, which is I referred to Mark Short as Mike Short, and it led to a pretty stupid joke on Love It or Leave It. Uh, I would say that uh, given that other podcast hosts have apologized for saying the N-word dozens of times, I don't think it really is that big a deal, but I did want to issue that apology. Um, <laughs> before we get started, some great news. Dan Pfeiffer, one of America's biggest YouTube stars, <laughs> is back with another season of Political Experts React. In the newest episode, Dan is joined by the Lincoln Project's Stuart Stevens to break down Republican midterm political ads from candidates like Dr. Oz and the MAGA mom to Mallory Staples. To watch, head to Crooked Media's YouTube channel. Also, if you haven't heard, Pod Save America and Love It or Leave It have just announced a ton of live shows this spring and summer. You bet. We're heading back on the road. Yep, and we're live every Thursday in LA again at Dynasty Typewriter. Oh, I That's didn't even starting know that. back and up. And those are fun live shows. Those are really fun live shows. Cannot wait. We're going to leave my backyard soon enough. You're going to want to go to crooked.com slash events to get your tickets for all this stuff. All this stuff. Pod Save America, Love It or Leave It, the Dynasty Typewriter shows, all of them. All right, let's get to it. Um, I have to admit, when I first saw the New York Times headline, GOP declares January 6th attack legitimate political discourse, <laughs> I thought there might I thought there might be some like context missing or like a headline writer mm-hmm. got a nah, little bro. out of control. Nah. Um, but here's what the Republican National Committee's formal censure of representatives Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger actually says. It says that the two Republicans, quote, are participating in a Democrat-led persecution of ordinary citizens engaged in legitimate political discourse, and thus, quote, the Republican National Committee shall immediately cease any and all support of them as members of the Republican Party. 
Sam, what was your initial reaction to the story? And like, why why did the RNC do this? Why do you think they did this? Why is anyone still doing this censure business? <laughs> it doesn't do anything. It doesn't mean anything. I hereby declare ah, this is I'm a I'm going to censure you right now. Yeah. You're oh, censured, no, John. Oh, my what God. I, <laughs> I think, so first reaction was like, oh, yeah, of course. But second reaction was when you read the piece, what was really interesting about the article is the meeting itself felt really bipolar. So the Times said at first in this meeting, this was a GOP winter meeting, all these party leaders came in and condemned the attack. They condemned the attack and the insurrection and Trump's conduct. And then the Times story says over the course of the meeting, everything shifted and they went to downplaying it and then denying it and then this censure thing. And so for me, the takeaway is like right now in the GOP, if you put 100 Republicans in a room, any room, doesn't matter how they walked in, we know how they walk out. There is a small and loud minority in this party that is in charge of the party, no matter what, and, yeah. and, and like at no matter what level. And I think it really boils down to just the perverse incentives of national politics right now. All these House members, all these senators, they don't want to get primaried. And that is more important to them than a general because these seats are so predictable in so many cases. They're most worried about an even further right primary and if that is the case, then they'll always do this, right? So the ex- you put them in a room and the extremism just like spreads like Omicron. It's just... <laughs> just it's, what, uh, well, it, <laughs> whether yeah. they walk in like that or not, that's how they walk yeah. out. It's the same trajectory they've taken in the past year since the attack, right? Like the first week when it was fresh in everybody's mind, it was uh, a violent insurrection. It was wrong. Everybody was... Every Fox News host was texting Don Jr. to try to get his dad to stop. And then... Over time, they kind of get on the party line that actually it was just a small group of people, even though the Department of Justice estimates, and I didn't realize how many, 2,000 to 2,500 people uh, went through the Capitol. Wait, they were in there? That That is, it's not. Let me th- tell you, and I know this doesn't be said anymore, but let it be 2,500 black people up in the Capitol. Uh, breaking yeah. in. No, I Let it be. I know. And just one small note on what they're excusing as legitimate political discourse. A lot of people peed in there. Wait, I didn't know that. Yeah, they peed. I knew they were taking stuff. Hey, there's pee. So I just, they're on the record there too, all right? I mean, I just, look, so Rana, our friend Rana Romney McDaniel, she uh, she issued a cleanup statement that called the January 6th investigation a Democrat-led persecution of ordinary citizens who engaged in legitimate political discourse that had nothing to do with violence at the Capitol. Here's the thing. <laughs> As you pointed out, Sam, Many hours of negotiation went into this censure. Mm-hmm. They talked about it a lot. They poured over the language. No one thought that maybe this could be construed as endorsing violence. They really are going to try to get us to believe that they. Oh, this, that's not what we meant. Yeah. Well, I mean, but they're trying to do two things at once. They're trying to seem like a palatable party for typical DC discourse. And they're also still trying to wink and nod to potential primary voters who are insurrectionist sympathizers. That's hard to do. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, it's just like, it. I think, look, it's not like the question facing them was, should we embrace Donald Trump's belief that the election was stolen or not? Right. And we want to wink to all the people in the party the majority of people in the party who believe that it was stolen. This was, the FBI called January 6th an act of domestic terrorism, right? Dozens and dozens of people were injured. Police officers, they had brain damage. 
They had, you know, all kinds of horrible injuries. Five people died as a result of this. And you can't just say that 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 that, that was not legitimate political discourse and make that clear. I just don't get why they said anything. Well, well here's exactly. why they, they could have avoided here's, this whole plot line. Exactly. Here's yeah, the thing. No, this that's, is that's right. They you start from they are what Cheney and Kinzinger are doing is making them mad. It is making them mad that they are doing this, that they are participating in this. And those feelings must be valid, valid in some way. They must be validated in some way. They must be explained and they can't be explained for what they are, which is these are two people showing a kind of modicum of integrity. It makes us all exposed as the dirty cops we are. And we dirty cops don't like having these kind of less dirty cops rubbing it in our faces. And so they kind of need to get together and come up with some rationale for why what what these Republicans are doing on the committee isn't just uh, wrong because they don't like the politics of it, but wrong for some other reason. So they work really hard to come up with an explanation. Even the corrected word version is still a fucking lie. It's all a lie. Like there are lots of Republicans protesting all across the country. They're protesting against masks. They're protesting against all kinds of things. There's only one that there's a fucking committee looking at. It's the one where several thousand people broke into the Capitol and took things from Nancy Pelosi's desk and oh, by the way, a bunch of people got hurt and died. So, of course, anything they come up with is a fucking lie. I think they just got a little bit focused. To your point, the insurrection was bad, but we fucking hate these two. I think a lot of the conversation was on the but we hate these two and not enough on the insurrection was bad. How strong is a national party like the GOP actually in moments like this? This whole statement seems very reactionary. Yeah. Trump has taken so much power away from a national party infrastructure anyway. Like... Does the GOP matter less now, the national GOP, less now than it ever did before? Yeah. Well, look, I think national, both national parties yes. and their national party committees. Diminished. People, their critics always think they have more power than they do. I think the same is true with the Democratic oh, yeah. National yeah. Committee. I'm like, there are no back rooms. The people are always arguing yeah. about the DNC. And oh, like, the DNC is getting exactly what they wanted. There's, there's like, no the DNC. Have you been not, to those conventions? Yeah, they're not doing anything. Neither is the <laughs> RNC. It, it is the base of the party. And by the base of the party, I mean sort of like the right wing media folks. Um, who were leading the rest of the party around. But you're right, Lovett. Like, they got, they just got, they were so pissed at Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, they had to say something. But also, like, yeah, the idea that they're, that the, the January 6th committee is somehow persecuting people who were just peaceful protesters who never entered the Capitol, who were just outside at the Stop the Steal rally, they're not. People they forget. They're not dealing with those Before people they all. went inside the Capitol, there was a noose out there. There was a Confederate flag out there. A lot of them said if they got to Pence or Pelosi, they would do stuff. Hang Mike Pence. It they was a lynch. It it could have been a lynch mob. Like yeah. not even exaggerating. But it it just was an unsuccessful. Yes. One. I mean. Yes. Like I I will all, we look. It's amazing how quickly you forget the feeling of it. Like I <laughs> I wonder if Rana remembers the video of her fucking uncle running down the hall to get out of the Capitol. There's video of him fucking running and that livid look on Mitt Romney's face sitting in the sitting in the uh, 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 the Senate chamber while one of the insurrectionists seven uh, decided to give some speech defending their indefensible position, the kind of rage in mm. his eyes. Like a few mm. people on that side haven't lost that. Does that make them great? No, but it makes them better than the fucking scumbags getting together at this meeting. 
Well, you know who remembered the video of Mitt Romney running is Mitt Romney <laughs> because he, t- he tweeted, shame falls on a party that would censure persons of conscience. Uh, apparently, uh, he also said that he exchanged some texts with Rana over this, though he didn't tell us what they were. Oh, man. Um, wait, I've got, I got three dots from Uncle Mitt. Oh, fuck. <laughs> what emoji does he send to yeah, her? I was going to say. What emoji? <laughs> Upside down smiley. Yeah, like... he, the, he just sent her the thumbs down. He did the thumbs down reaction emoji on his statement. Um, other Republicans who condemned the censure included Louisiana Senator Bill Cassidy, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, Chris Christie, Lisa Murkowski. I saw Susan Collins today, uh, Todd Young, a couple of them. I, I didn't see too many. How important do you think it is to get every elected Republican on record about this? Most one? people don't know about this story. Yeah. Right? I uh, think people who are really plugged in are following what the GOP at the national level is saying. I think folks are going to plug into the midterms a few months before the midterms. And they're going to be probably not going back to what happened this week with the statement. No, I. Right. Well, I am. So very unusual for me to disconnect from the news at all. I was at a wedding off since Thursday. Yeah. And I like the few times I just scrolled through Twitter to see what was going on. I was like, legitimate political discourse. What's going on? And it really wasn't until yesterday I dug into it. I'm like, no. This really happened? So, yeah, I was one of those people. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm an avid news consumer. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, love it. The question is, like, we have debated to what extent Democrats should make January 6th an issue in the midterms and beyond. Like, how, if at all, should the RNC resolution change the party's thinking about this, knowing that, you know, as Sam just said, probably a lot of people don't know the story and people are going to tune in, you know, a couple months before November. Yeah, here's my... I really have been stuck on the fact that the UK has been trapped in a kind of government shaking scandal over a party from over a year ago. Because several of, parties. Several parties. Uh, because of the com- because in part because of the, the sort of attention it's gotten from the media, but also concentration on it from people trying to make it a story. One lesson I would take from what's happening right now is I think like sometimes we've debated on this podcast, right? Like, well, is this is this the best thing? Forget. We obviously think it's the right thing to do uh, to point out the kind of incredibly dangerous authoritarian tendencies of the Republican Party. But like when we're at our most mercenary, we ask, like, is this the right way to make sure we're in a position to win the election? I would say that it's because we have the January 6th committee that it has stirred up enough noise and news and interest and coverage that it has kind of caused these kind of knock on effects of 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 Trump issuing these statements of stories now about document retention of 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 Chris Christie and Pence giving these competing speeches of uh, a, a censure resolution coming out of the RNC and all of a sudden this story now is kind of it's it's self perpetuating at least for a few days because it's Republicans talking to each other about this incredibly important divide inside the Republican Party which is should America be a democracy yes or no um, so my lesson is only that. It does seem as though concerted attention from uh, uh, Democrats on this issue has stirred something up that is even bigger than what the committee could have uh, done on its own. I agree. But I also think that the kind of slow burn of a story that you get from this insurrection panel committee is not the kind of story that national news media knows how to do well with or that Democrats know how to do well with. Like it's a slow trickle of these really damning details about what happened that day and before that altogether make a pretty strong argument. But it's not being delivered in one simple package on a given day. And it's like, well, the Democratic Party 
be able to keep tying all of these dots together over time. Yeah. No. To say in October, look at all this. Democrats aren't good at not tying. But uh... well, I was going to say, I think tying all the dots together is a challenge. And sorry, and, and saying tying all the dots together, mixed metaphor, whatever. Sorry, but you get it. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, but anyway, tying it all together is a challenge. But I would say this. Obviously, we've seen in polls. You can even hear it in focus groups that have been done. People are not. January 6th is not top of mind for a lot of voters. And so it's hard to make it a big deal. It's hard to make anything a big deal that happened in the past and not in the future. I also think it's hard to make a big deal something that doesn't directly affect people's lives, right? Like even a conversation about um, democratic institutions and what the republic, all this kind of stuff, it's tough to make real to people. I think what's different here is an endorsement of violence, like an endorsement of violence is simple to understand. It also has a direct effect on people's lives. Like, do you want a party in control that is endorsing political violence that could come to your town, that could come to you, right? Like, is that really what you want? I mean, Data for Progress polled four swing districts and found that voters overwhelmingly disapproved of what happened at the Capitol, obviously. But in no swing district did more than 15% of likely voters approve of the insurrection, and in all of the districts, at least 80% disapproved. Like, it is... Once you, Sorry, when you ask that kind of question in a poll, you're also led to answer the right answer. You're led, yeah. Although in in some of the in the same poll, they'll say things like, "Yeah, the election was stolen," right? Or, "Or yeah, Trump's big lie was right." Like the the one that got the most disapproval was obviously violence. And you're right; people can say different things about that. But I do think Democrats making the point based on this, and they and again, you have to keep the keep saying this over and over and over again that this party has now endorsed political violence. And this part, all the insert, all the mayhem that you've seen in January 6th, don't just leave it in the past. It's actually about what could happen if they return to power or if they don't get their way. And that's a big problem. That's why you want to keep it. It's harder to do that when Trump is not there. It is harder to do that. Well, that's why, but that's going back to the original question I had asked. Like, I do think that's why every single Republican, elected Republican and Republican running for office in 2022 should be made to answer that question. They should be made to answer their question at campaign events, in, at debates, wherever. And that's why you're seeing so many, I think, today already disavow it. And not just the usual suspects, but a lot of like, because they know that that's not good politics. It's not good politics. It's not good politics. It's and they horrific, want it. but it's also not good politics. And they want it behind them, right? They don't want to be, they don't want to be dealing with this indefinitely. That's right. Um, one prominent Republican who made some headlines about January 6th over the weekend was former Vice President Mike Pence, who said for the first time that Donald Trump is wrong, that Pence had the legal authority to overturn the election, and that the Republican Party should accept the outcome and move on, though he still wouldn't say that Trump lost or uh, he still wouldn't reject the big lie. This unsurprisingly enraged Trump, who called Pence, quote, an automatic conveyor belt for the old crow Mitch McConnell. <laughs> old crow. I'm sorry. That... <laughs> Old it's, crow. It's, I, it's old crow is so weird. It's uh, it just never stops being weird. It doesn't work. He's stuck with it. Uh, the first of all, the the like triangulating on fascism is amazing. Like finding a third. There's a third way. Uh, amazing. But also like Trump's statement really muted. Actually, like really soft. I hadn't noticed that at first, just because my I was so focused on the conveyor belt for the old crow that I hadn't realized that. Yeah, I it's guess a visual, right? More, yeah, it's I'm a, imagining it's, crow myth. It's not personal. It's not. Uh, he doesn't uh, once again urge his followers to kill Mike Pence, which had previously been one of his go-to's. So uh, pretty muted. And obviously, it's because um, you know Trump has a you know some loyalty and a trick. No, he's really worried that Mike Pence is a a person out there with. Um, uh, story to tell. Well, yeah, the story was I almost got killed. 
right? Like they would have killed him. He knew that. He knew that. I think it's, <laughs> I just I, don't understand. No, I think he knows it's a story to tell and back to what we were just saying, he he knows deep down that it is bad politics. <laughs> yeah. sort of Does he want to run for president again at some point? Yeah. Like, yeah. is that what he's trying the, to the figure room, out? If, the, some, a lot of the reporting says that he does. I can't, I mean. This was a speech. I, I read, this speech was read like someone saying, and therefore I'm not running for president. Huh. I'm going to tell the truth in this very specific and direct way. Uh, oh, really? You thought that's. I, that's how, who knows? That's interesting. Look, I just I see all like the if, rest of them. Like, I don't, Ron DeSantis is a smart guy. Uh, Marco Rubio thinks he's a smart guy. These are both people <laughs> choosing to avoid touching this, to avoid saying emphatically one way or the other because they want to leave their options open. Mike Pence has done the exact same thing for six years now, and this is the first time he chooses to be this emphatic about something so central to Donald Trump's view of 2020 and 2024. I, so it's, why it is was, he even making speeches then? It if went I, further than he needs to go. And if why I not, Mike and, Pence and you and and like my colleague almost got me killed day after i'm out meanest most withering statement and then i'll never speak to you about you ever again that's what i've done go if you're gonna never run for president again go go. all the way don't triangulate fascism if you're gonna run for president again i would say they tried to kill me (laughs) (laughs) they did not goodbye to you all (laughs) i I just don't in his mind he still thinks there's like some space to carve out between liz cheney and donald trump which is not i don't think that's i mean he's never been very good at politics well that's he's he's he was vice president because he was about to lose the indiana (laughs) governor's race so he like jumped onto this thing because he thought losing his vice president would be better losing at the top of the ticket and lo and behold he almost get four years later he's almost hung at the capitol (laughs) life's funny So a, a group of bipartisan lawmakers is still working on a bill to reform the Electoral Count Act in an effort to prevent future attempted coups. Uh, and over the weekend, uh, Joe Manchin and Lisa Murkowski did a joint interview where Manchin said the bill would, quote, absolutely pass. Um, what do we know about what specific changes they're looking to make? I mean, the first thing we know is be careful what you believe from Joe Manchin. <laughs> so yeah, right. yeah, exactly. For that. But um, for starters, the bill would clarify that the vice president has no power to reject the state's electors. Wow. Great. Yeah. (laughs) Low baseline. Huge step forward. Yeah. And the measure would also ensure that state houses cannot appoint electors after election day in an attempt to change the results. There's some other stuff, and I'm reading from the Times now and CNN. There'd be a timeline for states to complete challenges to results of elections, a clear method to certify the results, even a format for transporting the Electoral College certifications to Capitol Hill, and like stage directions on how the day of the actual thing should go. So, I mean, all of it seems pretty common sense, and I guess it could pass, but when I read it all together, I'm like, that's a low baseline. And, 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 and like, how dare anyone up there pat themselves on the back for passing that? Yeah. I mean, well, here, I will say a lot of the Republicans who, who sound like they may support it, uh, like Marco Rubio, were saying something like, well, if Kamala Harris is VP, we don't want her to have the power to overturn the election. Right. So the whole like clarifying the VP's role thing does seem like the lowest, lowest common denominator. Yeah. Um, that they can all agree on. If they just do that, I'm like, eh. The thing you mentioned about ensuring that state legislators, state can't legislators screw with it can't appoint electors after election day, I think that's big. And I think and, it might not pass. Well, that was going to say. <laughs> so the things you you just mentioned, Sam, that were from that time story, that was in the draft legislative text from 
um, uh, Dick Durbin and Amy Klobuchar and Angus King. And they're in like their own separate group. And then there's, there's like the Murkowski group. Mansion Republican group. Now, it does say that those groups have started talking. I think if that, if the Klobuchar King, that bill, if all that stuff gets into the the overall bill and that passes, I think that's, look, it's not as, it's not nearly as good as voting rights passing, but it is, that's going to do a lot to protect against the next coup. It really is. The yeah. fact that we have to say that, protect I against know. the well, we next need to protect coup. It. We do need to protect against We're through the looking glass. We need to protect against But we need to do that. We need to do that. No, yeah. And, and like we have Democrats for a year. Uh, combined vote suppression uh, with overturning of elections in a way that I think was really harmful. Uh, we completely lost on the ability to pass something on voting rights. That is not happening now. Uh, but we have this one chance to possibly pass something to like shore up against potential, <laughs> uh, against a, a future Trump run. Like, of course, we should take it. It does nothing to hurt us. It can only help clarify. I mean, what 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 Manchin said is right. You know, Trump issued this statement the other day saying, well, if they need to pass something, to change the rules, it means that my statement was correct, right? Like if you're changing the rules to stop Mike Pence from overturning the election, sure sounds like it could, which is why they're talking about it in terms of clarifying, what have you. All of this though, in the end, is playing in like very kind of like first order constitutional questions, which will ultimately land before a Supreme Court regardless. None of this ultimately will stop Republicans from breaking the rules, pretending the Constitution says whatever they want uh, to put whoever they want in power. So the most important protection is winning some fucking elections. But barring that, uh, it would be great to have some kind of a, of a break from what happened in 2020, uh, some kind of a procedure or set of rules that tells Republicans they don't have the power to overturn the election uh, if they so choose. Because I th And part of the reason I think it's possible that it's going to pass is a lot of these Republicans don't want to think they have that power. They would like to not feel the pressure from the base to overturn these elections. So like whatever they can do, do it. It's the Kamala stay home bill. Yeah, <laughs> Kamala don't show up that day. Yeah. No gavel for you. Well, then, <laughs> look, I think any bill that's worth passing has to do something about the real danger, which is that the state legislatures, mostly these Republican state legislatures, decide to just appoint the red slate of electors. Like, if it can handle that, I think it's definitely worth passing. If it, it doesn't, might not handle that. If it doesn't it handle, that, handle that, and if it's just like, if it, yeah, if it's, it's just the Kamala Stay Home Bill. If it's just the Kamala Stay Home Bill, come on. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. When we come back, we will talk about the various raging media controversies. Sure. <laughs> There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France. Which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Super Deck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How do you cope when there's something weighing on you or something you need to get off your chest? You know the best way to do it? Best way to cope is to talk about it. Not just cram it down, not do what generations of 
New Englanders have done, just stuff their feelings down, maybe cover it with a coat of booze. No, you got to talk to someone, you got to work it out, get it off your chest. And just by doing that, you will feel better. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash PSA. All right, there have been quite a few media stories dominating the news, uh, which we're going to talk about since we have a real live journalist with us today. Allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're certainly not, so... Uh, Let's start with the controversy over Joe Rogan, who hosts a podcast that averages nearly 11 million listeners per episode, which led Spotify to pay $100 million for the exclusive rights to host the show on its platform. Is that V1 or V2? What's that? Oh, man, that's an inside inside joke. All right. A few weeks ago, 270 health professionals signed a letter asking Spotify to moderate misinformation on its platform, specifically related to Rogan's stance on COVID vaccines. He's discouraged young people from getting vaccinated, incorrectly claimed that vaccines are gene therapy, and hosted hardcore anti-vaxxers who spread so many lies they've been kicked off Twitter. Spotify said it would include a, quote, content advisory on Rogan's episodes about COVID, and Rogan said he would try harder to interview guests with different opinions. Then, over the weekend, Spotify confirmed that it had removed about 70 episodes of the Joe Rogan experience, not because of COVID misinformation, but because the singer India Ari shared a supercut of all the times Rogan has used the N-word on his show, Rogan apologized, and Spotify said that it would invest $100 million towards music and audio from historically marginalized groups. I won't believe that. I just won't believe that. It's just <laughs> Sorry, what, a, what a classic corporate thing. That, uh, though their CEO also... Also, come find me. Uh, uh, right, right. <laughs> though their CEO also said, quote, I do not believe that silencing Joe is the answer. Canceling voices is a slippery slope. Meanwhile... Artists Neil Young and Joni Mitchell have pulled their music from Spotify, while podcasters Brene Brown and Roxane Gay have stopped putting their shows on the platform. What a mess. Uh, Let's start with Spotify. They claim to be just a a platform, not a publisher with editorial control. What's their responsibility here? Love it. Well, look, here's the thing. Uh, Also, by the way, one thing they have said in all their statements is that Joe Rogan decided to take down the episodes, right? Because very very careful. careful. They're not in charge of what's on on Joe Rogan's uh, feed there. Uh, look, Spotify paid Joe Rogan a hundred million dollars to silence him on Apple, to silence him on Google, <laughs> uh, to silence him in every single place they could except for one. All right. So they're really just one. Le- there's really just one left for them to do to get the final value out of their hundred million. But all that aside, like I don't this idea like, oh, we're not a publisher. Everybody wants to have a party. Nobody wants to clean up. Uh, you paid somebody a lot of money to make content for you. They are doing it. I think part of the reason they're a little bit fucked is they can't claim like, oh, we, we're not going to pay him this. We had no idea he was uh, saying the N word all the time because these were just living in his feed that they have been that they were fully available to everybody for years. The other thing I will say to defend Joe Rogan is it's a different time. You know, look, 2014. <laughs> He was just a young man in his mid 40s. <laughs> People didn't know then. All right. A so, lot has changed. Sam, what do you think? I think my first thought was uh, Indiari. Good to hear from her. Hope she's doing well. 
<laughs> Love that album. <laughs> really did. Um, secondly, I think that like a lot of this argument we tried to have before and then we just didn't have it. A few years ago, there was a whole, is Facebook a publisher or a, or a platform conversation? And eventually we just moved on and Facebook is still crazy. And Facebook is still full of conspiracy theory. And I think that like if Spotify had any business sense about all of this, they would understand that the life cycle of internet outrage is extremely short. And if you just shut up, we'll move on to something else. They started talking. Then they began to pull episodes down. They're keeping this story alive. They're keeping the story alive. And I don't know why they're doing that. Um, I also feel like there's a larger conversation to have besides should Spotify have these things up or not. Don't expect goodness from corporations or corporations. And unless the government makes them be better, they won't be better. Period. Right? The larger conversation is why does a guy like Joe Rogan have this big of a contract and this many listeners for that show? Yeah. It's not a good show. It's not scientifically informed. It's not even really factual. And the larger issue here is that, like, so many Americans increasingly don't trust actual news outlets. They don't trust national news outlets, and they don't think that we, because I'm one of them, are being truthful with them. The latest numbers from Pew Research Center show that nationwide, only 58% of U.S. adults trust national news media. And when you just go to Republicans, it's like 35 or 30% trust. And so in that context, of course... I think those are even higher than the ones... Probably. <laughs> but Gallup like, had it even worse. I yeah. mean, that, it's, it's really bad. But like in that context, of course, a Joe Rogan succeeds. And so we can have a conversation about, you know, what kind of company Spotify is. But there's a larger information conversation to have about who Americans trust and who they don't. And who fills the gap? And I think instead of national news organizations like mine and others having conversations about how we rebuild trust, we got to talk about the saga of Jeff Zucker, you know? <laughs> Which we are going to get Yeah. To. And so, like, I, I am not mad at Spotify because why would it benefit me to be mad at a company? It's a company. It's a company. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think that Spotify is bullshit here, right? That Like, they... Look, the reason they're they're trying to get away with this is that they are both a platform and a publisher, right? So the way that Spotify works is there are some podcasts that are just on Spotify because it's like a platform. Our podcast is one of them. Your podcast yeah. is one of them, right? And then Spotify goes out and picks and chooses which podcasts they want to make exclusive bids for and pay a lot of money to. Yeah. And that's what they did with Joe Rogan. Like you said, love it. They decided to make sure he couldn't be heard on any other platform but yeah. theirs. That's not the case with a lot of the, most most podcasts, right? So they, of course they have responsibility for this, right? But beyond that, I think the question you raise, Sam, is the right one, which is like, what what should be done about Joe Rogan? And specifically, what should be done about the misinformation and disinformation that is coming from the Joe Rogan podcast. Because if you if Spotify kicked Joe Rogan off tomorrow, Joe Rogan would go on any number of oh, other also, platforms. That's and have the tip of the iceberg. Have just, you seen YouTube? Just, exact, Rumble, a Canadian version of YouTube that's that's now aligned with Trump, offered Rogan a hundred million dollars just today <laughs> to come onto their platform, right? Uh -huh. He'd go on YouTube, he'd go on play. So like the misinformation, different disinformation does not stop Thank you. if Spotify kicks Joe Rogan off the platform, which is why I actually think that like when 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 you know when it was just the COVID disinformation that was the story, Rogan said, Oh well I want to have different voices, differing voices on that disagree and with I me. And I gotta answer for that. Right. But because I because like I actually think that that's the best look, is that a surefire way? Is that gonna work? I have no fucking idea. But we have to do something to expose some of the people who are listening to that podcast 
to competing forms of information. I'm going to push back on that. Okay. Because I think that, like, it's really easy for someone like Joe Rogan to do the whole, I didn't know. I'm just a dumb comedian. I don't pre-interview. I don't fact check. I don't. I just talk. Oh, yeah. And instead of saying, I'll do a better job about fact checking and pre-interviewing and booking and being thoughtful about these conversations, or maybe even cutting out the bad parts in post before you post it, instead of saying any of those things, he says, well, I'll just have some other voices. That is so lazy. Oh, I agree. It with is that. so well, lazy. Oh, no, 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 I agree. And I agree it's with so that. disrespectful of course it is. to people who are actually trying to credibly inform the public. But he's not and only a, to be that. No, but when you have a platform that big, you have some of that. And sure, I think no, that course. like and I think that like only a certain kind of man can get away with that foolishness. Y'all put a show together. I put a show together. We are in pre-production. We are fact-checking. We are editing script. Before it runs, we're gonna listen to it two or three times just before we put it up. And like you do that because, like, you know that when people are listening to you, you have a responsibility. And so it doesn't matter if Joe Rogan says he's a comedian or this or that. At that point, when you're getting that much money and talking to that many people, just do better. Oh, I, so I, I agree. Sorry, not I, to fuss at y'all about this, no, but it, saying, it just burns me up. But I agree, with that, up. I agree with that 100%. But, like, like, Joe Rogan is a lazy, irresponsible asshole. Of course. He exists, and he's got 11 million listeners. Yes. And yes. I, I have encountered a lot of people who... Come up to us and say, oh, "I listen to Pod Save America. I listen to Joe Rogan. Sometimes I, sometimes I believe what you guys say. Sometimes he has other points. Sometimes I listen to Ben Shapiro. I hate Donald Trump. I hate the Republican Party. I don't like the Democrats either. There is a group of people like this that I do think we have to contest, and that we have to try to persuade. Fuck Joe Rogan. Forget about Joe Rogan. It's not about him. It's not about Spotify. Right? It is about." Who who is that misinformation and disinformation reaching, and how do we fight that? Is the answer just you know throwing good information on top of bad information? That didn't Not work. necessarily, right? But we have to figure out like we are in a fight to persuade people, and I don't know that we can count on Joe Rogan acting responsible. Well, I don't think I'm in a fight to, to persuade that. people. My fight is to inform people. That is, and I but, think I, you're right. Well, we have a different. Yes. I'm fighting to actually yes. persuade people. But. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Look. For good and for ill, Joe Rogan is not producing a new show. Uh, you know, you point out these these studies that say X number of people don't trust the news. That's absolutely true. The vast majority of people, uh, by definition, if you have 70% of people saying they mistrust mainstream news, a lot of those people are distrusting something they are not consuming. Right? These are people answering a question about, a, about content they are not imbibing, right? The biggest divide in this country is not between people who is really uh, between people who are engaged in following and paying attention to the news and the tens of millions of people, the majority of the country, who are not. Joe Rogan has a big audience of people that are probably more in that category. No, I understand, but, but like... And my, so all I'm getting, all I'm saying is we... I don't even know why we're, we're not even disagreeing. I agree no. completely. But like what you're saying is I want Joe Rogan to be held to the standards of the news. No, I want them to do a little bit better. Right, of course. And I also want the news to do a better job of appealing to more people. How do you think that? How do you think they do? I that? don't know, <laughs> but I know that for a long time, especially during the pandemic, it became hard to listen to or watch or read most mainstream national news because the spirit behind every headline and every story was like Aren't you panicked? Aren't you worried? You're going to die. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. And there are studies about the tone and tenor of national news coverage. Most of it at this point is anxiety-inducing oh, and negative. Yeah, totally. And so that, I think, needs to be addressed. Are we making a product that is informative and not depressing? Are we making a product that is informative, 
that can like at least start to stand a little bit head to head with like all of the entertainment and disinformation swill that exists. I mean, you've touched on something, which is a lot of reporters will say, well, the reason that there's distrust in media is for purely partisan reasons. So, uh, you know, Republicans don't trust media because they think it's liberal and, you know, Democrats will have complaints about media because they think it's, you know, not tough enough on Republicans. Right. And I think you know, and there's there probably needs more study on this, but I think the point you just made, which is that so much of the media, it's bringing is, you down. It, it feeds you anxiety. It makes and you it's, nervous, and it's treating politics like a game and a sport, and it's making everything afraid and stuff like that. That that gets to the distrust that a lot of well, people feel as well, and and people like Joe Rogan are saying. I'm not you know going to make you nervous. I'm not going to make you nervous. You like Trust friend. me. And I don't have all the answers. And this guy came on my show and he's saying crazy shit. Maybe he's wrong. Maybe he's right. Who knows? This is also not a lot of what Joe Rogan is doing on that show isn't also that new. Like, yes, we we <laughs> there's we are we are now discussing the tons of racism that's been on that show. We're talking about the misinformation that's on that show. Uh, but there's always been an audience for a certain kind of like white male, very masculine, broy conversation around a table in which some days it's somebody like Fauci, some days it's a famous comedian, some days it's a UFO expert. There's been like Howard Stern did that. There's yeah. lots of shows that have done that. And I, I do wish I think that the conversation like how do we get more people to, to pay attention to the news? Fine. There is millions of millions of guys out there that find that kind of conversation appealing and like. The answer to telling them on mass, like you're wrong to like what you're liking, like it's true. Like I think what Joe Rogan's doing is pretty gross, but like I really am much more interested in like how do we peel some of those people off? Like how do we make something that reaches them, that kind of touches that kind of community, that like conversation, without it having to be infested with the kind of toxic qualities that 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 we see in sort of the Rogan universe, or even some of the toxic qualities that we see in mainstream news. Yeah, sure. Yeah, if there is a way. Yeah. To make national news appeal to more people and depress them less, I think we should do that. Ugh. I think there are studies after studies about the way that all major newsrooms covered the pandemic. It was unnecessarily negative. That's clear. Uh, there's a recent episode of the Freakonomics podcast that spends a whole hour talking about why is U.S. media so negative right now? And these are real questions that have to be asked because as long as the news feels like a chore and it's making you sad – Fewer people are going to listen to it. And, and I think more people need to listen to the news and not to Joe Rogan. And, I, and I, do, I do think, too, part of this, some of this comes down to, like, what it means to respect speech, right? And I think there's a kind of argument from their side that's like, we respect the power of speech and therefore we don't want to see any hindrances. We want to say whatever we want whenever we want. We want to pay no consequences for saying something racist. We want to pay no consequences for spreading misinformation because the most important thing is individuals having the power, whatever that power means to them, uh, to spread. And what we're basically saying is like, bad ideas have incredible power, right? You have incredible responsibility that comes with your ability to spread those bad ideas uh, in in far-reaching ways. Like if you, it is a big difference between telling somebody, like there's a, I, ima I just sometimes imagine Joe Rogan uh, having one of these anti anti COVID one of these uh, anti vaccine guests on, just imagine going from person to person to share that information, like handing it out like a pamphlet. Like, have you heard? Like, uh, it's killing teenagers. Have Have you heard? Uh, 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 natural immunity is stronger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you imagine like telling this to people, telling 11 million people something completely false individually. I think gets at just how hard, it, how bad it is to do it on mass. Well, I also think that the controversies over these stories play into the polarization. So like just preparing for this podcast, I was like, 
I want to find out exactly what the COVID misinformation was and, and disinformation that Joe Rogan was spreading. And I'm Googling and stuff like that. And every, Joe Rogan, Spotify, all you get is stories about the controversy. And yeah. I'm like, it took me a while to, to find, find out the actual thing what the said. actual thing he said was. Because yes. so I'm like, so what is that? What is that actually doing what? for the cause of making sure more people trust the vaccines, which I, should be our goal? I feel the same way about this whole conversation that I'm being pulled into over what I think about Joe Rogan saying the N-word. Don't ask me. Stop. Let's not. The larger issue is that never in the history of media has anybody other than a white guy like Joe Rogan got a deal as big as Joe Rogan. Right. (laughs) You know? And so the N-word is secondary to me. And I'm also tired of these other comedians circling the wagons acting like Joe Rogan saying the N-word is like the last frontier of free speech. We got to let comedians tell hard truths. That ain't a hard truth. That's a low-hanging fruit. Well, that's another thing, too, is that it also gets, again, the controversy gets distilled to... Well, he said the N-word. Did he say it because he was talking about other people saying what was the context? He also, he's made comments about how black and white people have different genetics. He had a guest on who claimed that black people have a gene that makes them predisposed to violence. Uh, like, yeah. it went beyond yeah. him just being also, like, oh, I'm also, saying the word because someone yeah. else said it. Also, at this point, if you tell me that any white person said the N-word, I'd be like, oh, I bet they do when we aren't around. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry. Like, I don't have any space for surprise for that anymore. I yeah. don't have any space for surprise for it. it it's also like, you know, I... Horrible things with Jordan Peterson about trans people and how they represent the the harbinger of the end of civilization. Uh, he said the the n word dozens of times. It's a, there is something so like it is not surprising to me that these things are kind of uh, uh, offenses that get you. Uh, sh- is this okay? You know, like it's if it was seventy times Joe Rogan talked about kikes controlling the media, right? Like it'd be a very different conversation. Yeah. Uh, one other point I wanted to make on the other on the misinformation side of it. I mean, I also understand, given how bad the coverage has been, the pull of finding some some expert, some guru, some some person, some Sherpa to follow who can break it all down. Because, I mean, like, you know, you and I, I think at the height of the pandemic became as close to scientists as we'll ever be in our whole lives. Uh, like, and I remember, I remember vividly telling, I t- said this to Ronan, I sw- this, almost verbatim. He, I was like, I, I, he like said some, sent some, some, some story uh, about some new information we were learning, I believe about Delta. And he was like, look at this. It looks like it's more dangerous in this way than we thought. And I was like, you can't fucking trust that. That is misinformation. He's like, it's Reuters. And I was like, I'm telling you, you can't trust anything. You got to read the fucking studies. Cause I was like, at that point, so I felt so kind of like manhandled and misled by even the, the most anodyne and basic and straightforward news coverage of COVID. I have a child who can't get vaccinated and I pay more attention to COVID than almost anything and 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 read from experts who are like who would never be on Joe Rogan show. Right. <laughs> and the, the amount of conflicting information over the last several months has it will drive you crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I follow this stuff and the headline. I mean, the experts are one thing. The headlines like millions more children are dying. Should you be scared and not leave the house? You know, it's just that kind of time. I'm still hurt. Over Fauci telling me for months to not wear a mask, then saying you better get one real quick. Right. I'm still reeling over that. And this is a person who is good faith, trying to do his best, been an expert forever. And so, like, you're right, love it. When people hear some Sherpa on a podcast that that says they know it all and they're like, well, I might as well believe that person because all the other people are leading me astray as well. Lack of trust 
in institutions is at the core of this All problem. This. And, and, every, and it ain't about doing, Joe Rogan saying dancing the around it. Let me tell you, I was an undergrad when the number one song for 12 weeks was Kanye West's Gold Digger. All these white folks are saying the N-word. It's not new to me. It's not surprising to me. And it's just like distractionary. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, there's definitely, there's been like a few moments. It was like, that's it. I'm not reading anything else except Dr. Ashish Jha's Twitter. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> just Dr. John and me. That's the only thing from just me and him in conversation. And then that poor guy tweets some stuff and everyone's yelling at him about something. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm He's still just st- the dean of public health at Brown. <laughs> I'm still stuck on Joe Rogan said the N-word. The sky is blue. <laughs> Come on. But okay, on that point though, <laughs> go ahead. I just gonna, like, I, I just also is once the first round of this is probably is going to be a controversy came up months and months and months Come and on. months ago. Put three interns on listening to what's in the fucking archive. <laughs> you don't, you can't pay those interns enough. Oh my god. Yeah, Spotify really did a, a serious vet on that one. <laughs> what I'm worried about, or not worried about, just wondering about, like. App silent in this entire conversation is uh, advertisers on Joe Rogan's podcast. Usually when this stuff flares up in TV or cable news, there's a push for the advertisers to pull ads from Tucker Carlson or whoever, and eventually some do. From what I understand, no advertisers have pulled their ads from Rogan's show, and none of them have even really spoken about it. What's up with that? I don't know. So, and I don't know this because I don't listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, but is part of the exclusive deal with Spotify that he, you don't have to listen to ads if because Spotify it's just subscriber he based or no, no it, it, oh he, he still reads, reads them. so people will pay for Spotify to have Joe Rogan read and when you buy a Spotify Joe Rogan ad package they also I think make you buy in other Spotify shows uh, um, yeah, yeah that is interesting I would just say you know look there are uh, podcasts where you'll hear the n word zero times and there are podcasts where you hear the n word from one to a million times and I think you just think about which ones you want to put the uh, ads in. I almost used the N-word once on my show, and they were like, no. And I was like, you're right. Like, I don't even, like, just, like, it's really simple to have a standard. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the Internet, which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high-coverage foundation. More popular than soft-launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Superdeck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Are you like me and tracking the polls obsessively this election year? Well, Dan Pfeiffer's right there with you and he's taking them seriously, but not literally. Take an average of the polls. Don't forget about any one poll. And the thing that we try to tell everyone in every episode of this podcast is a poll that has Biden up to and a poll that has Biden down to, they all tell you the exact same thing, which is this is a very, very close race. The goal of this podcast is to help people understand polling and freak out about it just a little bit less. Explore the latest polls, what they actually mean, and whether or not it's time to hit the panic button. Tune into Polar Coaster with Dan Pfeiffer, Cricket's latest subscriber-exclusive show. 
To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at crooked.com slash friends. Obviously, you know, we, we, we hope that, uh, that, that media makes itself more responsible, but I don't know if that can happen without Jeff Zucker. And uh, we do need to talk about how um, he is the one media titan who did get canceled last week. Uh, he resigned after failing to report a consensual relationship with one of his longtime colleagues, which is against CNN's internal policies and came to light as a result. And it's uh, like, OK, I mean, I guess Wolf and I never had the conversation, but I thought we were. <laughs> <laughs> so so this came this came to light. <laughs> Jeff Zucker's uh, relationship came to light as a result of the network's investigation into former anchor Chris Cuomo, who was fired after using his sources to help his brother, then Governor Andrew Cuomo, respond to allegations of sexual misconduct. Talk about a butterfly effect. Man. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> Which I want to point out started because they were worried Ronan Farrow might publish a story about Andrew Cuomo. So a call from Ronan about a potential story led Chris to try to track down who was who else might be talking oh, and doing looking, ads for Ronan. Now? Well, I'm just saying it leads all the way. Up. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Does Ronan not have enough? Uh... I, no, I'm just. I just think it's amazing that he's just sitting on the couch playing video games and just canceling people left and right. So, I don't think Zucker's canceled. I no, think he'll end up on Puck. News oh, he's going to be Puck News. He's going to Puck. He's going to be fine. I don't know if, if I couldn't give a Puck. <laughs> Zucker will be fine. I don't know if CNN's you know anchors or employees will be. They spent the days following Zucker's departure offering impassioned tributes to their former boss. Here's a clip. Inside CNN, this was a week like no other. The sudden removal of CNN boss Jeff Zucker has rattled this news outlet to its core. This is the ugliest shakeup at CNN since the days Ted Turner was still walking the halls. Zucker was in charge one minute and he was gone the next, so why? It's been a really tough day today and a tough few days for us here at CNN, all week really. I didn't want to talk about it until tonight. So the truth is, is that we're all heartbroken because we lost our leader here. We lost the man who was the backbone, the glue, and the spirit of this company. The man who I personally credit with changing my life, a man who believed in me when nobody else did. So thank you, Jeff Sucker, for everything you did for everyone at this network and what, for what you did for, to the entire country, for the entire country. Sam, everything you were just saying about... <laughs> That's the why. voice and tone of media that caused people to distrust it was like I'm turning that we didn't off. even plan that was like <laughs> encapsulated in those clips. The- Not since Bernard Shaw was <laughs> under a desk in Baghdad. Also, let me tell you something that happens in legacy newsrooms all the time: CEO turnover. It happens a lot. There's just there's a lot to unpack here. Look, I he mean, like invented <laughs> putting Trump's empty podium on CNN until Trump showed up. Here's Can't the, take that away from him. Like, okay. There's the whole thing about, like, you know, should he have been fired because of a consensual I'm relationship? I'm going to stop you right there and say yes, yeah. because the two of them were in charge of a lot. And if, and she was working under him. If there's any even sense that their relationship meant that her department she got was, more or yeah, others she got was getting less, promoted or anything she, like that, that's, that's why you not, got it. That's why it's you got not it. fair. And I'm surprised that she still gets to stay. Yeah, I mean, look, I, again, I don't know all like, and you know, there's so there's, there's rumors that there's other shoes. There's another shoe might drop. What other? There who is, else was he messing uh, with? No, no, oh. no. That like, <laughs> that, like you damn. know, she was also former communications director to Andrew Cuomo. So were they involved in helping with the Cuomo stuff too? I don't know. Again, again, like we don't know all this kind of stuff. And they're also like, 
were the Discovery, Warner Media titans trying to push him out, and they use this as an excuse. Was it Chris Cuomo's attention? So all of this, whatever. Follow the money, cool. Follow, yeah, it was a, wh- whatever. This is all like sort of internal stuff that I don't actually think is a big, uh, you know, story in the national interest. But I am like the the CNN employees, right? Like, and look, you love your boss. Your boss leaves. I get it. But sort of the public, <laughs> the, the public just. I don't know over this is a lot. My boss. Someone wrote a new, Sarah Jones in New York Magazine wrote a piece that was just like, hey, CNN, everyone calm down, was the headline. I was just like, yeah, that's sort of how I feel right now. I, I, I think stepping back from this, I think there's a kind of navel gazing. Yeah, in the that's kind the of, word. It's in the, the navel gazing. In the, in, the, in the mainstream media um, that is sometimes um, a bit smug and sanctimonious. That's a nice way and to put it. And just out of touch with what people are actually They're not about and worried about. They're trying to get their kids back in school. They want to get their young kids vaccinated. They're worried about inflation. Can I afford a home? Like crying about his and boss? then it's come on now. And and Brian and, and, and like, calling it like Zucker will never happening? be broke. He'll never be broke. <laughs> what are we He'll be doing? Fine. It's um. It's just Jeff Zucker. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh. It's uh. Yeah. It's it is about the perspective, huh? It's like what are we covering today? Also, also. And Parker Malloy wrote a piece about this in her excellent newsletter about just reminding everyone about some of Zucker's quotes in Jonathan Mahler's 2017 profile of him in for the New York Times magazine, in which he said, Zucker said, the idea that politics is sport is undeniable. And we understand that and approached it that way. Let me tell you, that is a huge fucking reason Americans have record low trust in the media come on. because politics now, come on is treated as sport. And then he said... Uh, as Zucker sees it, his pro-Trump panelists on CNN are not just spokespeople for a worldview. They are, quote, characters in a drama. That's what it was. That's what we yes. were talking about. I, I, I could characters, characters in a drama. Characters yeah. in a drama. That, that was yeah, what, I'm turning on Joe Rogan at that point. <laughs> well, Come just, on now. And I just like, whatever. If well, you, you know look, what, I, know, I get it. Some of these people work with Jeff Zucker. They liked him. They thought he was good as whatever. But like that view of what news should be, where he was like, a guy that helped tr- make Trump in the first place and then turned on Come Trump on. because that was a more interesting story. Yeah. But you know what's really frustrating? I know a lot of CNN journalists. When I covered 2016, I was on the road on the same buses and the same gaggles with CNN journalists who on the ground are literally trying to do the Lord's work. Yes. And the bulk of the newsroom of these institutions, not just CNN, they are in it for the right reasons. They believe in it. They are not served by that approach to journalism. And it's like it's just like, I don't know, there needs to be a big old come to Jesus meeting because like, what are we doing if this is what's happening? And what are we doing? I, and I do think there is a difference, even with the anchors and the folks on air, there's a difference in the journalism that you see from Jake Tapper and Dana Bash and Caitlin Collins and people like that. And then like, you know, the the monologues that you get you used to get from Chris Cuomo or Don Lemon. Remember their pass offs or when they were passing Jim the Acosta. Like oh, it's just it's a little people can tell. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of it's a it's, little much. Yeah. It's like it's a little bit um it's newsroomy. And I say that as someone with very firsthand experience <laughs> on the creation of the newsroom. <laughs> I, I I you know, look, I did <laughs> Then there's a kind of like the newsroom made cable news seem more serious. And then a bunch of people watch the, the newsroom and now they're playing out their own version of everyone's doing good night and good luck every single fucking <laughs> night. I, I, like, hello. <laughs> uh, it's unbelievable. It's uh, uh, how long until 
Jeff Zucker's new media startup partners with Joe Rogan. <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't know until I read Parker's newsletter that Jeff uh, Jeff Zucker was uh, instrumental in the rise of Joe Rogan. Yeah, Fear Factor. Fear, Fear Factor and The Apprentice. Come on. It's all, it all connects. It all connects. All right. Finally, a media scandal that hits very close to home. A few weeks ago on this very podcast, our own John Lovett asked former Obama colleague and current White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki about how she handles annoyingly dumb questions from Fox News correspondent Peter Ducey, including a recent attempt to make Biden seem like he doesn't care about crime. Here's how Jen answered. You know, I am not here to work for Peter Ducey or Fox, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I will say uh, that, um, you know, if you look at how it's portrayed and how my answers are portrayed, even when I say, no, we don't think crime is good. And here's all the things we've done, including the thing that makes, I think gets, makes Republicans crazy, just anecdotally by the hate, hate uh, tweets I get on Twitter when I say this, is that they voted against funding for local cops programs because of the American Rescue Plan. Also that Biden has supported $300 billion more in uh, funding. And at the same time, he also thinks we need police reform. It's like they don't know what to do with that. Uh, but every time we say that, it makes them crazy. Um, I, you know, I think it speaks to if you look at Fox on a daily basis. I mean, do you remember the four boxes that you had that we had on all the TVs, right? Mm-hmm. Which is on my TV right now. So right now, just to give you a sense, so CNN, Pentagon, as many as eighty five hundred U.S. troops on heightened alert. Okay, true. Same on MSNBC. CNBC is doing their own thing about the market. And then on Fox is Janine Pirro talking about soft on crime consequences. I mean, what what does that even mean? Right. Um, So there's an alternate universe on some uh, coverage. What's scary about it is a lot of people watch that and they they think that the president isn't doing anything to address people's safety in New York. And that couldn't be farther than the truth or other places. And here's just a small taste of what Fox did to that answer over the last week. Jen Psaki laughed about, quote, soft on crime policies and said those are in an alternate universe. Well, Jen, we're not in an alternate universe. You are. Jen, are you so locked up in your ivory tower that you have no idea what Americans really care about and what they're concerned about? That's Jen Psaki's position. You'd have to be delusional to think crime was a problem in this country. Now you see Peppermint Patty dismissing crime because, well, she hates the messenger, too. Love it. What do you have to say for yourself? Talk about navel gazing. We decided to really end with a like just. I I had no idea that this interview had blown up so much because I'm in my own information bubble. Same. <laughs> well, all of it's on leading. We're on Tucker. We're on we're on the five. Amazing. You made the five. We made the five. It's just amazing that Jen's whole point in the answer. Well, she started by talking about how crime is a real issue. Like yeah. Like she they. They took her, they didn't just take her out of context. They made her make the opposite point of what she was trying to make. You know, it, it speaks to something that ties all these conversations together, which is all across our media, there are crafty, uh, uh, um, innovative people trying to find ways to make money, taking advantage of the mistrust people feel. And very, very few people making money by trying to rebuild that trust. Lots of people talking about the trust issues, not a lot of money in it right now, but then there's a lot of people trying to figure out ways to kind of like, how can we exploit the fact that they assume that the Democrats are soft on crime? How can we exploit the fact that they're never going to listen to the actual episode so we can just take this out? How can we exploit the fact that they don't trust CNN or don't trust the New York Times when we talk about COVID? How can we take advantage of this? Um, End of thought. 
I mean, if you're Jenner of the White House, like, how do you handle shit like this? I, well, I mean, what do you do? You you go fact check it, and then you you know the the Washington Post fact checked it. Great. How many people saw the fact check? Yeah, yeah. I just it's it's what they do. I remember there was a documentary about Fox years ago, and they talked about how for years at every morning meeting there was like the Jesse Jackson portion of the morning meeting. Like, well, what do we got on him today? God. We got to beat up on Jesse today. What are we doing? Like, this is like just what what Fox News does. They're going to find something to to whip. Yeah. And right? The, and this is, that's also an example of just like the, the, the playing field here is not level. And I'm not just talking about the playing field between conservative media and progressive media. It's conservative media versus progressive media and mainstream media that's and not supposed to – dare trying I not say to it's a for-profit media versus non-profit media. I know I'm biased, yeah. but <laughs> – <laughs> well, and like exactly, especially if you're a nonprofit media, like you don't have the resources to fight that. Yeah. And, you know, and on our side, we have a lot of uh, liberal millionaires and billionaires who will donate money to all kinds of causes, except for, you know, actually kind of create a progressive media infrastructure. Well, because they are they're they're cosmopolitan moderates. Right. They just they find Trump. They find it distasteful. Uh, they're you know, they they're pro gay. They're uh, pro women's rights. But when push comes to shove, that's not where their heart is in. Here's the other thing I would say about this, too, which is I think a lot of times Democrats get into these intra-democratic arguments because Democrats, uh, um, you know, you you argue with people who argue back in good faith. Mm. You tend to pick your fights with mm-hmm. people who are willing to kind of uh, come back at you. And there was there have been multiple news cycles about who's responsible for our messaging problem? Who's responsible for our losses in this election? Is it the progressives? Is it the moderates? Is was Terry McAuliffe, Terry McAuliffe lose because he was a Clintonite or was it the schools or what? what a, there was nothing wrong with what Jen Psaki said on the show. There was nothing even remotely uh, uh, dis- <laughs> distasteful about it. Nothing whatsoever. She didn't screw up. She'd make a gaffe. She'd make no, a mistake. There was nothing. She didn't tell me to go kickboxing. <laughs> and yet, and yet for yeah, right. a day, and yet for a day, it was exploited to drive home the message that Democrats are soft on crime and Democrats want to abolish the police. Because it's a political operation. Because Fox News is a political operation. And the problem is the problem. It's not what some random activist says about crime. It's not what Je- it's not Jen Psaki not exercising message just discipline. She was she's incredibly disciplined. It's not uh, the dis- it's not the disputes within the Democratic Party on policy, which gets nowhere near what happens on Fox. There is a giant corporate backed machine designed to make Democrats look evil, feckless and stupid. And we do not have the equivalent on our side. Half the media says Washington is fucked. The other half says Democrats are fucked, and we wonder why we can't win elections. The problem is the problem. Yeah. Yeah, they don't. Well, also, they're all shameless there, right? So if you're running a very well-tuned political machine, political operation, and you are shameless and you don't mind just driving home the same message every day, like that's how people have won campaigns forever. Fox News has been running a campaign ever since they've been around. You bet. And that's how they do it right there. It's not like magic. All you have to do be is shameless and repeat the same message. Every day they have their morning meeting and then uh, you march down into the mausoleum and you get your orders from Roger Ailes' fucking head. (laughs) And that's that. You think his head's there? Yeah, I think it's calling the shots. On that note. The only thing that I can take away from this whole conversation Mm -hmm. is that the way to fight back against all of this is to go stream Indie RE on repeat. On Spotify for the rest of the week. There's only one she hero needs in this entire conversation. India Hari. It's India Hari. We love her. From, and and I also. She's was, not the average girl from your video. Wasn't That's the there, one of her songs. Wasn't there a moment of poignancy when she said she was surprised by the attention 
she had gotten for sharing this information and was like, how dare we? As it make her feel that way. Yeah. India deserves nothing but flowers, nothing but streams. Thank you, India. And thank you, Sam Sanders, for joining us oh, today. So great to be A here. wonderful conversation. Come back anytime. Thank you. Support your uh, nonprofit newsroom of your choosing, listeners. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, or, you know, or sort of progressive, sustainable media companies <laughs> trying their fucking best. <laughs> All right. Music, oh, play us out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. It's a 501c3. <laughs> <laughs> Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner-Bernstein. Our producer is Haley Muse, and Olivia Martinez is our associate producer. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to Tanya Sominator, Sandy Gerard, Hallie Kiefer, Madison Hallman, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montooth. Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash crookedmedia. In the 1970s, a young group of violent revolutionaries joined forces to create the Weather Underground Organization, a group of radicals who brawled with police officers and bombed the Pentagon, all in the name of ending racism. Hi, I'm Zaid Ayers Dorn, host of Crooked Media's new podcast, Mother Country Radicals, which dives into the true story of how my parents and their friends went from peace-loving activists to topping the FBI's most wanted list. New episodes of Mother Country Radicals are out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Super Deck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details.